Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. Beginning with verse 33, Matthew 21, beginning with verse 33. This is the word of God and it is eternally true. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. The vine growers took his slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same thing to them. But afterward, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. They took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? They said to him, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and will run out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. When they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. So we're in a series on parables. You see the nice announcement as you come in the front door. And parables are a very good way of uh, teaching truth. Um, And it really is hard to escape the meaning of parables. That's at least how we feel about it. But the truth is that the parables are to keep the proud and the rebellious and all of those who hate God from understanding his truth And they are a means by which God leads those that the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to understand the truth. So parables divide. That's the first thing we need to say. This particular parable is very divisive. But before we get to that, let me say that this is an allegorical parable. And an allegorical parable is a parable that has more than the usual degree of correspondence between the details of the parable and the details of life. In other words, it gets nitpicky. You know, there are actually a lot of parts of it that are applicable, right? And the world's best-known allegory is what? And most uh, English professors will tell you it's probably one of the greatest uh, books ever written. What is it? Any of you read it? All of you should read it? It's called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. So this is an allegorical parable, and we get pretty detailed in it. Let's start with verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner. So who's the landowner? In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. It's unbelievable how intensely wicked men work 
to deny that God made the universe. And, you know, they will grant you every single thing. Back to the very beginning. But then they'll go all, like, wacko. And they will argue that there's no need for God, that the universe evolved, that the universe banged, that the universe just sort of showed up. And the Bible tells us in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible tells us that the heavens declare what? The glory of God. And when you have a humble heart and you look at this universe, it doesn't take more than five minutes for you to see the glory of God. There was a cartoon that was popular back at a time when Americans feared God. I've lived in that time. There's no fear of God left in America today. All there is is rebellion and hatred for him and his law, even in the church. But I lived at a time when there was still fear of God in this nation, and so there was a popular political satirical cartoon. When Sputnik went up from the Russians, they did this cartoon that had the cosmonauts looking out of the windows of their space capsule. And they're looking around like this, and they're saying, I don't see God anywhere. And that's about what America is today, you know? We've got all you scientists, and you, and you just think you're so smart. And you say, I don't see God anywhere. And underneath the, ca- the capsule, the space capsule, was this monstrous hand holding it up in space. And this was America ridiculing Russia, which was officially atheist. Ridicule is a legitimate tool to use. Uh, Every father should regularly ridicule his son with love, you know, not maliciously, but, you know, you need to make fun of your son every now and then, or he's going to grow up to be a very proud man, you know, and you don't want him to be like you. And so we see here that the parable begins by saying there was a landowner. God owns the universe. This is going to be a great shock to every man who dies not knowing God. To understand that red, yellow, black, white, old, young, rich, poor, it makes no difference. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Why? Because this universe belongs to God and he has made man for himself. And our hearts are not at rest until they rest in him. It's really the truths of the soul, the body, the spirit are very simple. God is the landowner. Now, we need to go a little further than that in this because it's not just that God made the universe. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. It's not just that God made man. It's also that God made a people that he pulled out of the world and created for himself. And that's really what it's getting at here, because Jesus is talking to the Jews. And in the Old Testament, the Jews are the people of God. They are the ones that God pulled out of all the masses of people and set his love upon them and made a bloody contract with them and demanded that they belong to him and give him fruit. Now, if you don't know the story, it shows up in a number of places in the Old Testament. It shows up, for instance, when he says to Abraham, what? He says to Abraham, get up, leave your people, and go out, what? To a place that I will show you. So Abram, at the age of, I don't know, it was 88 or 80 or something, he takes all of his wealth, all of his land, all of his children, and he leaves the city he was in, and just starts on pilgrimage. And this is such a beautiful picture of becoming a Christian that you don't know where God's going to take you, but you know he said, get up and go. And so we get up and go. For me, I got up and left Southern California. And I didn't know where I'd end up, but I knew I couldn't be there anymore if I was going to follow Christ. And so then he said to Abraham, what else? 
Well, you remember that the parable doesn't just have a landlord, right? It also has the vineyard, and then around the vineyard is what? Walls. Now, what are the walls? The walls are the sacraments. The walls are sermons like this. The walls are reading of Scripture. The walls are elders and pastors and Titus II women who teach us. Okay? Now, let's focus on the sacraments for a second, okay? So it tells us that a certain landowner, all right, planted a vineyard, and we know that the Israelites were planted by God. He said to Abraham, get up and go. I'm going to be in covenant with you, and your descendants are going to be more than the sand of the sea. So Abram is the vine that he planted, and we read this in... um, That's the problem of using notes, is you have these awkward pauses while the dingbat preaching is looking, oh brother, maybe it's page one. Give me a second. I'm completely mystified. I had that text in there. Anyhow. Um, in the Old Testament, I think in Isaiah, it refers to, to the Jews as being God's vine his, that he plants, all right? And so God plants Abram. He tells him to get up and go, and he's going to make of him a great people. More than, his descendants will be more than the sands of the sea. And then what does God do? It's a contract between him and Abraham, and he wants that contract to have a bloody witness, Right? That's what we call covenants, right? And so what he does is he has Abraham circumcise all of his descendants and all of his household. Now, it's pretty hard to deny you're circumcised. You are, you aren't. The world would say that it's a bloody, pagan, ancient, stupid, benighted, idiotic ritual that that stupid people in the past used to do We say God commanded Abraham to circumcise his household. Okay? And can you see how the circumcision sets up a wall around the people of God? All of a sudden, it's not a permeable membrane. You see this? All of a sudden, those boundaries are clear. You see this? Who's inside the vineyard and who's outside the vineyard is real easy to tell. And in order to do it, there's blood. Now, you may be embarrassed by this, but um, this is Scripture. There are people who will not be baptized because they don't want to be embarrassed by baptism. They don't want to have to go into water in front of a whole bunch of people. And so they ask you, would you come to my house and we'll have the relatives at my house. It's always rich people that do this. And, And we'll have a private baptism in my house, you know. And it's like, no, it's a public act. It's not a private act. It's a, it, it, it is to be done as a witness that we are in covenant. And so you go to the Old Testament, and what you see is Abraham is to circumcise his sons. And from that point on, that child is marked as a child of the covenant, the contract with God. You all see this. And so these are the walls around God's vineyard. The vineyard is the people of God that he's pulled out from other people. And then he sets up boundaries all around his people, his vineyard, so that the world cannot thrust itself in. And so the people inside are protected from becoming worldly. So God says, you can't marry the Philistines, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, because you belong to me. You may not intermarry because then you'll be out of the vineyard, right? They'll alienate your heart. He says, here's the food you may and may not eat. And then he comes to the top of Mount Sinai, and he's visible. And there's thunder, there's lightning, and there's the Ten Commandments written on stone. And what do the Ten Commandments do? They delineate the boundaries between the people of God and the pagans, the people who don't belong to him, the people that aren't in covenant, the people that aren't in contract. And you can go all through the Old Testament, see again and again and again the way God makes a distinction between those who belong to him and those who are not him. You go to the book of Hosea, what's the son named? Lo-Ami, 
not my son. Right? And so in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have the same walls, right? What is it that delineates us from the world and keeps the membrane from being permeable? What delineates us is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and the sacrament of baptism. And these two sacraments, real hard to lose the significance of them. You have to work at it. And of course, it's in the interest of the people of God to what? Well, to, 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 to muddy everything up so that they don't get persecuted. You understand? And so when people come in here who are pagans, people come in here who live a life of greed, people come in here who live a life of gossip, who live a life of Facebook. <laughs> okay. Ever thought about it that way? <laughs> people come in here who live a life of fornication, who live a life of pornography, and we say, brother, come eat with us. The whole purpose of the sacraments is to delineate the boundaries between those who belong to God and those that don't, right? They mark you. They're physical. You know, when the kids, when the young men and women get baptized, they go down dry and they come up what? Wet. With the blessing of God on them. You see, God is not the God of postmodernism. God wants the distinction between his vineyard and the world to be radically clear. He doesn't want us muddying things up and denying that it matters whether you believe in Jesus Christ. No, no, no. He wants it to be so clear that it punches you in the nose. That you come in this church and we say, if you don't belong to Jesus Christ, we love you and we accept your presence but you may not eat at his table, you may not drink the blood of the new covenant until you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you understand this? But you'll go to other churches in this community where you'll be sitting there after the Lord's, uh, after the, the sermon, and you'll be sitting there, you know, da -da 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 wham! And the plate of the blood of the new covenant will pass you by before you can say Jack Robinson and nobody will have said a word to you that it's coming and nobody will warn you? Why? Well, because as Christians, we want to just act like to be an American and to be a Christian is the same thing. And so Americans come into our church. Now, if you're from Pakistan, you know, they might say, well, you know, that's a joke for my Pakistani friend here this morning. <laughs> you know, or if you're from, you know, Scandinavia, not quite sure about them, especially if you're, you know, from Germany. But listen, people, postmodernism hates distinctions. We hate divisions, and we most particularly hate the distinctions that God has commanded. Because when we observe God's distinctions, what are we doing? We are confessing that he has authority. And so we have a vineyard. We have God who planted it. He put in the wine press, dug it out. He put up a tower and he put up the walls. And then what did he do? Well, he found tenants and he gave them charge over the vineyard. Now, who are the tenants? Well, the tenants are the Levites and the priests of the Old Testament. They're the leaders of God's people inside the walls. And what is the purpose of the tenants? The purpose of the tenants is to prune the vines so they'll produce more fruit, to preach, to teach. The, in the Old Testament, the purpose of the tenants is to celebrate the sacrifices, to guard the dietary restrictions, to make sure that the circumcisions are done. They are to keep the walls in good repair, all right? They are to keep the plants healthy. They're to weed. They're to protect. They're to watch for an enemy. 
They're not to allow enemies in. They're not to allow the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, to marry outside. You see? This is, this is their job. All right? So it's very clear the tenants are the Levites, the priests, the leaders of the Jews, right? Everybody with me on this, okay? Now, um, who are the servants that are sent by the landlord to come and get the harvest? That's right. Who said that? Good job. Welcome home. Or, well, welcome back. Yeah, they're the prophets, and if you read the Old Testament, you'll find over and over and over again, all through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, you go through all the minor prophets, what you'll find over and over again is that God says, go to my people. You remember at the beginning of the, of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says, I can't be your messenger because I'm a man of unclean lips. And then a little while later, God says he'll clean him up so that he can speak for him. Then a little later, Isaiah says, I heard a voice saying, who, who can I send? And I said, here am I, send me. And these are the prophets. I have to tell you that from the earliest period of my life, <laughs> you know what I'm going to say, right? I love the prophets. Because I grew up in a community that was just filled to the brink with cheap talk of God. And, you know, you're surrounded in Wheaton by professional Christians. And then you read Isaiah and Jeremiah, Jeremiah, peace, peace. They say peace, peace, where there is no peace. They lie to the people, and the people love it so. But what will they do in the end? The prophets are, and the prophets are always killed. And who kills them? Well, they're not killed by the people outside the wall of the vineyard. They're killed by the, they're killed by the people inside the vineyard, right? God sends the servants to the tenants in the vineyard to, to come bring back to him the produce, the fruit. And he says that, he, that God sent you know, the landlord sent these men and these servants and, and some were killed and others were this, that, and the other thing. And then he sent more and then, and then he thought to himself, aha, you know, maybe they just don't respect slaves, so I'll send my son. Now, who is Jesus? He's the son of God. And who's telling this story? The one who's telling this story is the Son of God. And what has the Son of God just gotten done doing a few verses before what we're reading now? Do you remember? Just a few verses earlier, the Son of God went into the temple and took out a whip and made a wasteland of the place. He flipped over the money changers' tables. Those money changers, were they not supposed to give the fruit to God? He said to them that his father's house was to be a house of prayer, but he said, you have turned it into a den of thieves. And so this is what happened right before this parable. So the, the, the tenants who were supposed to give him the fruit of his vineyard had killed Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and, and Ezekiel and Joel and Amos, they didn't kill them all, but they stoned some. They threw Jeremiah into the bottom of a hole. They hated the prophets because the prophets came inside the vineyard and they said, thus says God, you are to give me the fruit that I have appointed you to produce. This is my vineyard. It is not to be presided over by pastors who make a million dollars a year. I mean, come on. It's scandalous how we in America treat the church. As if God is honored by me wearing Brooks Brothers clothes and driving a Lexus and pulling down you know, it's just awful. Who's getting the fruit? 
when you have preachers who everybody in the country sends money to. Is that God's fruit? It's absolutely awful. The best thing that would happen today, Kierkegaard wrote about how he... He said, I would like to do an experiment. He said, I would like to do an experiment that from now on, the preachers will get paid, but they won't be able to have anybody in their churches. And he said, and it's an experiment, and I'm predicting that not one of them will quit. Guys, are you thinking? You should be laughing or grimacing or something, but your faces are deadpan. Don't you think that's what most of us preachers want, is to get paid but not have anybody in our churches? Wouldn't that be the perfect situation? Because then we don't have to bother weeding and watering and guarding and marking and, you know, we don't have to serve you, we can just have you serve us. And this is why in the Old Testament it refers to false shepherds as those who eat their sheep. Come on. Are you with me? You realize all I'm doing is shoving into your face what Jesus is telling you should be shoved in your face. That's the job of a sermon, is to take God's word and shove it in your face so that you go, oh, now I get it. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's telling you that your preachers and your pastors are not giving him the fruit and instead are killing Jesus, the son of the landlord. Do you understand this? Now you're going to say to me, oh, no, 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 no. It's the bad Jews. You know, this happened 2,000 years ago. Jesus wasn't getting on the case of the church. The church is Christians. We, we are God's people. But the Jews had utterly failed. It's the nasty Pharisees. You know, they were the ones that were getting the backslap or the condemnation of Jesus, but not me, not my pastor, Tim Bailey. Because Tim Bailey loves Jesus. And Tim Bailey preaches faithfully. And Tim Bailey is, is protecting the fruit for God. And I say, well, how do you know? What do you think the Jews at the time Jesus told this parable would have said about their pastors? Don't you think they would have said that their pastors were faithful servants of the word of God that were protecting them from becoming worldly? Come on. Listen, it does no good for us to turn up our noses at the past. That's utterly repulsive. The purpose of the past is for us to see ourselves. If you look at the past and you don't see yourself, you're blind, you're, you're Tommy. You know? You're the pinball wizard. Deaf, dumb, and blind. The past is filled with men and women and boys and girls who are just like you. And so if you ever see anything in the Bible, Old or New Testament, that you think, well, that doesn't apply to me, you're wrong. All Scripture is profitable. Every word of Scripture did not originate from man, but from the Holy Spirit. And they wrote as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and all of it is profitable. And so if Jesus is saying that the tenants that God gave the vineyard to, to give him a crop, killed the messengers, and then killed the son, that's you. You, if you had been alive at the time of Jesus Christ, you would have been crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And then you would have said, his blood will be on us and our children's children. And then you would have persecuted the prophets, the apostles. You would have stoned Stephen. Do you understand this? The whole purpose of this parable is for us as God's people now who have displaced the Jews because the Jews refused to give him his prophet. 
The whole purpose is for us to look at ourselves, who are the new Jews, and to say, are we giving God the profit that he demands? Do you understand that? Don't think that because I'm reverend, or I belong to this denomination, or I, you know, okay, forget it all. The only question you should ask about your spiritual leaders is this. Are they giving fruit to God? That's it. And the one sure thing is, if a man who claims to be a servant of God and to be producing him fruit is pulling down a salary of a million dollars a year, As a matter of fact, probably the best thing to happen to America would be for every single pastor to have to work with his hands like the Apostle Paul says in Acts 20 and for there not to be any pay for us. But I guarantee you, if you make a godly decision to remove my pay, do you think I won't be up here Sunday morning? And you say, well, you like to hear yourself talk. And I say, well, there's... There's some truth to that. I don't know how to get out of that news. But generally, your gift runs, I don't know, forget it. Okay, so what's the fruit? Well, the fruit obviously is what? To honor God, right? Does this make sense? If he's planted the vineyard, that vineyard is supposed to produce fruit for him. What is the fruit? Well, we know what the fruit is in Galatians. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control. All right, that's fruit, right? But you know something? Ain't it nice to talk about the fruit of the Spirit because it's so esoteric. It's so sort of mystical, you know? It's so sort of, what were all those big words you used about the Constitution? Give them back to me, come on. Nebulous. You use the word nebulous. I don't know what it means, but I think it applies. All right? And then if you're like really reformed, you'll use the word Gnostic, and you'll just think that you just became like really reformed. In other words, what we love to do is talk all about shells because God loves nuts. And so we focus on the shell, and we never take a look at the kernel. And so Kierkegaard says we, 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 we provide God thousands and thousands of shells, and none of them have any meat inside. And we make a big show of honoring God. And isn't that a perfect analogy for the church in America today? I tell you, if there is one doctrine that is absolutely dead in the American church, it is the doctrine of fruit. It's dead. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I say, okay, do I love? Well, I wouldn't want to judge that. I say, okay, so like you go in to buy an avocado and you make no distinction between one that's soft and one that's hard. Come on. We're such good fruit judges when it comes to Walmart, right? But when it comes to the church, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, kindness, gentle. So am I gentle? And you say, no. Because that one's pretty clear with me, right? But I do love when I'm not gentle. (laughs) I'm just from Philadelphia, okay? Now listen, fruit. The Bible tells us what? The Bible tells us that God said to Adam and Eve that they were to be birth-controlled and to protect the earth from anthropogenic global warming. You see, there's something about children in diapers that just makes fruit real clear. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so this country is filled with Christians who refuse to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And you say, oh, but the earth is already filled. And I say, oh, come on. Don't you read the New York Times? 
And you go, well, they're the ones that told me. No, no, no. For over 15 years, they've been telling us the real problem is, is demog- <laughs> it's population death. That's, you talk to economists, they'll tell you that. There's not going to be anybody to support the pensioners in a few years. This is true all over the world. So you better come up with another reason to deny God the fruit that he wants. And I'm sure you'll come up with another reason. You'll, you'll say that you can be a better missionary going overseas for two weeks a year on a missions trip if you don't have a lot of children. And I say to obey is better than to sacrifice. And I say, what do you think you're taking over to Africa when you go on your short-term mission trips? I'll tell you what you're taking. You're taking feminism and sterility. <laughs> what has America taken to Africa? Would you please tell me? It's taken population control. Fruitlessness. We are so perverse in the ways that we refuse to give God fruit. And the best test of whether our hearts are in sympathy and harmony and submission to God is to look at how we look at children. And you go, oh yeah, you natalists. And I go, oh, come on. Have you seen a child recently? Do you know how do you know how beautiful they are? When you look at their parents and then you look at that child, it's unbelievable that child could come from those parents. God commands us to be fruitful. He tells us in Malachi, the reason he makes us one is, quote, this is from Malachi, for the propagation of a godly seed. That's scripture. And then all our churches just do everything they can to make sure our young women get a college degree and then a nursing degree, and they're absolutely impervious to any threat of their husband ever leaving them. You know, they, they got their, their ticket to security, and dad can now go off and blow his money at casinos and down in Arizona driving around a motorhome, and, and I'm spending my children's inheritance. You've seen that bumper sticker? And it's like, oh, this is just so godly. Temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord, temple of the Lord. But, but what we're doing is we're denying God fruit at the most elemental level of children. Do you understand? And then if you're going to tell me that you're giving them fruit in other spiritual ways, but you just, the, the, the little thing about children, you don't do diapers and you think you wouldn't be a good mother. You know, you know, you know. I say you're a liar, liar, pants on fire. If you're not, as a husband, going to have faith for your wife to have children and for you to propagate a godly seed, don't tell me that you have, you know, love, patience, self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. I think the first self-control thing you'd do would be to say no to your flesh and to decide to deny yourself and take up your cross and have lots of children. But see, everybody here, you're sitting there going, Oh, come on, it's not just about children. I say, no, it's not just about children. I I admit that. I admit that. But if in an earthy, fleshly, visible, smelly, crying manifestation of fruitfulness, we are denying it, then you tell me that an agnostic, ethereal, sort of mystical kind of Love, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, and kindness. You know, that you are producing God fruit. I say, you know, one, I can see, and the other one, I, I hear your testimony, but I don't see it because I don't see you living by faith. I don't see you obeying the commandments. I see you using pornography instead of marrying a woman. <laughs> Come on. Jesus says that the people of God were in the wall, they had the tower, they had the wine press, and that God placed them there to bear fruit, and that when he sent his messengers to pick up the fruit, there was no fruit. Why? Because they were determined to hold on to their own lives, their own marriages, their own households, their own money, their own daughters, and they would not give fruit to God. Do you understand this? And so then he sent his son, and what did they do to his son? 
They said, you know, if we deal with this once and for all and get rid of the sun, it's all ours. You see that? And that's me. I want God's perquisites. I don't care about Donald Trump. I don't want to serve him. I don't want to love him. And I don't want to obey his commandments. And if you can't see that about yourself, it's because you're blind. You hate God. That is the condition of every man since the fall of Adam. And there's no shame in you admitting it, except before God. If you admit it to me, there's no shame to admitting it to me. I hate God. You hate God. I'm blind. You're blind. I am a prisoner of Satan. You are a prisoner of Satan. The only way any of us bear fruit for God is when we are born again by the Spirit of God. That's it. And once we're born again by the Spirit of God, we realize that the true fruit that will last is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We realize that when we, re when we confess that inside of me dwells no good thing, and we look at Jesus, and there he is, tempted in all ways like as we are, yet without sin. Our great high priest who takes his righteousness to the throne, the judgment seat, and he says, this one is mine. And we go, no, 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 it's impossible. I'm a man of unclean lips. I can't face the holy God. And Jesus says, chill out, dude. From eternity past, before the world started, I chose you to be my son. And you now own my righteousness. It, you are dressed in my righteousness. And the fruit I demand of you is that you come to me. In your mess as a sinner, without any lies, and I will give you rest. And that's the one thing we don't want to do. Because we want to bring, you know, like a kid. When I was a little boy, my dad was once carrying me in his arms. Yeah, I don't know. I was probably three. And all of a sudden, I started squirming in his arms. I said, Daddy, let me down. Let me down. And he said, why, Timmy? And I said, because I want to carry my own dandelion. Do you get it? I had a little dandelion in my hands, and I felt it was somehow demeaning to me and my dandelion for my father to be carrying us both. So I wanted him to set me down so I could, I could carry my own dandelion. And that's the way we come to God. We don't want to come in the righteousness of Jesus. We don't want to come admitting that we hate him and that only by the work of the Holy Spirit can we love him and look to him. Can we submit to him? We want to carry our dandelion, you know? We want to make it there somehow on our own. I mean, you know, paying lip service to Jesus, but with our righteousness, with our bright intellects and our scientific degrees and our nationality and our, our stopping to pick up the hitchhiker and, oh, wasn't that magnanimous? And God says, no. You are those who refuse to give it to the servants, you refuse to give it to the son, you killed the son, and now what is God going to do to you? And you say, but no, I was baptized. I say, oh, whoop-dee-doo. You say, oh, but I was a member of Church of the Good Shepherd, or whatever we call ourselves now, Clear Note Church, you know? And I say, oh, whoop-dee-doo. Oh, I'm, I'm the son of the preacher. I'm the preacher. I have a degree from Westminster Seminary or from Covenant or wherever you want to get your degree from. You know, that Calvin on this text says, oh, says a number of times that the purpose of this parable is to force God's people to make a distinction between the visible and the invisible church. There's absolutely no way that you can just say, well, they're inside the vineyard and so that's that. They must be faithful because they're baptized. 
No, 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 no. Everybody inside that vineyard who killed the Son of God had been baptized. They're in the vineyard. Don't give me anything except trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It is the only thing that can make you stand before God and have his mercy. That's it. That's all. Jesus wasn't standing there saying to the people of God who listened to him, now, listen, this is for the Pharisees, and, I, you know, you guys are good people, and watch, watch me whoop up on your religious leaders. Jesus treats you as a moral agent. He tells you this story, and then he leaves you with what? Well, at the end of the story, look at what he says. He says what? And see, this is just my perpetual problem. Okay, here we are. They said to him, we will bring, so he says to them, what's going to happen? They'll bring him to a wretched end. Those wretches will have a wretched end. And then he says, did you never read in the scriptures? Isn't this fascinating that Jesus is with the most word-centered, Torah-centered, intentional, educational, literate people the world has probably ever known, the Jews? And he says, did you, didn't you ever read in scripture? Okay, so he says, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is the cornerstone. They were rejecting Jesus and about to kill him, and he was saying to him, hey, listen, I'm telling you, I am the cornerstone. Every bit of weight of that building rests on me. I'm the cornerstone. And it is a marvelous thing. And then he says this, Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. Okay? So here's my question. Are you willing to give God the fruit of your life? Are you willing to die to your aspirations, your hopes, your fears? Many of you, what you have to die to is your fears. And are you willing to live for God? That's the question. Are you willing to build on the cornerstone, which is Jesus Christ? You forget your bank accounts. You forget, you know, marrying a pagan woman or man. Okay? You just forget it. You forget greed and envy and jealousy and bitterness. You just forget it because now you live for God. It's over. You're dead and he lives. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord, which is your reasonable act of worship, and be not conformed to this contraceptive culture. (laughs) I keep coming back to that, you know, because babies stink and need their diapers changed, and it's hard to escape whether we're being fruitful or not when it comes to marriage and babies. It's kind of visible, eh? Eh? Here are the Gerardos. I mean, you wonder, pretty soon they're going to, they're they're like a metastasizing tumor, you know? They're going to just take over our whole church, you know? Row after row after row after row. Come on, you guys. Can we please see what fruit is and begin to not lie about it? Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And uh, what they think is going on there is that there are some people that stumble over this stone, not from malice, but just from unbelief. But there are others who hate that stone. And that stone will crush them to dust. Do you understand that? And then he says this, that when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood that he was speaking about them. About them. And what did they do? Did they learn? When you hear God, you're always going to either become toxic 
or you're going to have faith. There's nothing in the middle. You either will hate God and his word and his messenger, or you will love God and you will be soft, but there's nothing in between. And the way this message impacted them was what? It says, when they sought to seize him, they feared the people because they considered him to be a prophet. And that's our text for this week, right? Right? And so listen. Forget Clear Note Church. Forget me. Forget your mama and your papa. Forget your wife. Forget your music professor. God is demanding that you bear fruit. Don't you talk about your theological commitments or who your grandmother was. God demands that you produce the fruit of faith. And he has the right to demand this of you. Do you understand this? Because he made you for himself and your heart will not be at rest until it rests in him. Does this make sense to you? This is not about me. This is not. Postmodernists will always make everything personal because they're so weaselly. You know, well, Tim Bailey, you know. and it's, like, it's not about me. Okay? In closing, let me read just a couple of verses to you, okay? John 15, verse 2. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. My Father is glorified by this, verse 8 of John 15. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so... You should know this by heart. I had to memorize this chapter when I was a little boy. That you bear much fruit, and so, come on, you should know this by heart. And so, prove to be my disciples. What is the proof that you are a Christian? The proof is your fruitfulness. Not perfect. Stops and starts, much repentance, much forgiveness, but fruit. Remember, our Savior's rule is what? By their baptism you shall know them? Nope. Our Savior's rule is by their fruit you shall know them. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we, without the work of your spirit, hate you. And we would be the ones to kill your son. But Father, we plead with you to send your spirit to this place so that we will be the lambs of God, washed in the blood of Jesus Christ with humble hearts, producing much fruit and loving your pruning that makes us even more fruitful. Father, help us to not lie about our faith. Help us, Father, to be fruitful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.